Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks, and that's my wife slamming the door, for fuck's sake. And... (laughs) I got 99 podcasts, but you know the rest. This is the 99th podcast. And today I've got Joe Harkness on the podcast, who I've been wanting to get on for ages because of his struggles with mental health and really how birdwatching has helped him deal with it. I was going to say overcome, but not quite. And you'll see what I mean when you when you listen to the actual chat. But it's really interesting to hear his experiences for it. We also talk about his book, Bird Therapy, which I'm sure many of you will have known. His tips for listeners, perhaps, to deal with their own mental health issues. And also just really how bird watching can be a potential tonic to help you get over some of those inner demons. If you're feeling in a good mood and you want to part with some cash, there is a link to buymeacoffee.com. You can donate £3 to help keep this podcast going. I do it for free out of my own time. So any money is greatly appreciated. Here's the chat. Well, Joe, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you. Sorry, I had to click something there to, to <laughs> let you record. <laughs> there you go, you're all done. <laughs> I think, oh, what, you, have to, you have to allow me to record, do you? Yeah, I do. I have to click continue. Oh. I have to consent, actually. I have to consent to you recording. It's very formal. Oh, I didn't know it even did that. I've probably been un- unconsentedly recording people then up until now. <laughs> Which isn't which isn't great because I think this is like the 99th podcast that I've done. So if they're all unconsented, then um, oh well, Sodom, we've got this far. We should be all right. Um, how are you doing anyway? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, as good as we can be. Well, we might as well start from the beginning with it. And so everyone's on the same page. What kind of struggles have you had with mental health? If you're happy to talk about that, you might not want to. Absolutely. The golden question. Yeah. And it isn't just mental health. There's kind of there's some other things that feed into it. Yeah. For me. Okay. Let's go all the way back to to childhood. So I grew up in social housing in a single parent family. So I lived with just my mum. Yeah. Didn't have a lot. And I think from from then I I knew that life was gonna be a struggle, but not I, I'm not I'm not, this isn't a sob story, do you know what I mean? But life was going to be more difficult growing up from then. And I think then, not it's no slight on my mum at all, but she kind of just let me do what I wanted. And therefore, I went off on some pretty crazy paths. And I got quite involved in in taking drugs from a relatively early age. So... When I was 15, I started smoking cannabis. And they always say that cannabis isn't a, a gateway drug, as in it doesn't lead on to, to, to other drugs. But unfortunately, for me, it did. Yeah. And um, yeah. it also led to that the start of me having what you would call difficulties with my mental health. Because I'm not going to preach here, but for all the people that say that that cannabis is is not harmful in any way. It entirely depends on somebody's brain chemistry. 
so it did harm me and it kind of started me off on on my journey of anxiousness <laughs> which still exists today but you sort of factor in like my childhood and then drugs and then eventually that became alcohol I didn't drink until I was in my early 20s but when I did I, I very quickly developed a problem I think everything I do I develop a problem I hate the term addictive personality because with alcohol it it, it was and still is an addiction so it's not going to go away but um addictive personality addiction whichever that's a big part of kind of how mental health really came into play and then just fast forward into sort of my mid-20s so what year are we now 2021 so it's about 10 years ago that well it wasn't the first time I'd attempted to take my own life but it was the first time I think I'd done it with conviction I'd wanted to but thankfully someone stopped me and sort of encouraged me to well I was going to say forced but that's a bit harsh on me but sort of made me uh, seek help and then I didn't for a while um talked my way out of it and uh eventually things got bad again and I had to seek help for the second time properly and that was when I kind of got to the point of where I am not now but where if anybody who's read bird therapy kind of knows at the start of the book so to draw it all together I am essentially a recovering alcoholic um and I suffer with depression anxiety but my anxiety is um more in the form of uh, obsessive compulsive disorder which is a form of anxiety although people think it is uh, involves ritualistic cleaning but very wide of the mark with that yeah. I'm not gonna say yeah, yeah, yeah. and um interestingly now I'm in the final stages of being diagnosed with attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder so ADHD um which is quite ironic given the work I do which is working in special education with lots of children with ADHD so the irony's not lost on me there so that's kind of where where we're at that's the the mental health struggles if you like so it's a cocktail of I don't know if you'd want to call it issues but different things basically yeah issues is fine um a cocktail of issues <laughs> <laughs> I like that um, yeah yeah it is and they all kind of interplay with each other unfortunately so if things get bad for me which they're not great at the minute but when things get like bad bad I, f- I can find it really difficult to get out of the cycle becoming a parent was a big game changer in that for me in many ways but it's very difficult for the brain to compute suicidal ideation alongside knowing that there's a child there and then if that ideation is powerful enough to be more constant then you know it's pretty bad for you to feel like that when you have a child um so yeah it's a massive cocktail and again the irony's not lost on the recovering alcoholic no no yeah i didn't think that's poor choice of words but um and and you kind of answered it there i was going to say is it something that's ongoing but presumably it is something that's ongoing and i i guess um it's just something that's always going to be in in the background is is there an end to it or i don't know is uh... Um, i suppose an end is 
unrealistic, but there's, I hope one day that I can, I thought I could manage it actually, but this past year has not been so great. But prior to that, I suppose I'd got myself to a bit of an equilibrium where I was, oh, yeah, happy, I guess, but with, you know, all it takes is like something to go wrong in one aspect of, of anyone's life for it to have a knock on effect on everything else. So it's all, it's all interchangeable, like I said about those issues, but I think also life events are interchangeable as well. And so, yeah, maybe one day I've got, I'm, I'm becoming a parent again next year. So second child. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, yeah. Cheers. And I think actually that that will, that might be another turning point for a period of time hopefully and then if i can maintain that that level then yeah um that'd be good i guess an almost poetic way of looking at it is a bit like the tides it ebbs and flows yeah i, I literally absolutely got it yeah. nailed on um, you could look does. at it like that so so when did bird watching then ping as a potential tonic to soothe the mind then so the literal ping moment <laughs> um as you put it was when when i first started I'd had to take some time off work when I first sought help. Well, it's the second time in the context of what I was speaking about earlier, but I signed me off work for, for a month. And while I was signed off, I my she's now my wife. My wife was, was saying, oh, you can't just sit around at home all day doing jigsaws. <laughs> I was doing a lot of jigsaws. <laughs> Piss um, off out, basically. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And and uh, I just started going out for like little walks. And then we... We were going out for walks together, like to the coast and stuff, and it was nice and like being outside. It felt really good. And we went on, so I live in Norfolk. We went on the Norfolk County Council website and they've got loads of these circular walk booklets. So we downloaded a load and went out of, on this walk and there was a bit of history in it. There'd been some like peasants revolt and I, I like a bit of history. So I was like, oh, we'll go and find this old stump cross thing. And we're out walking. And as we walked out into this field, got this really clear I actually took a photo of it on the day so I can always go back to that but it was dead straight path going across this ploughed field and then a tree line across the horizon of um I don't know what trees but they're all bare anyway and these um yeah I'm not I'm not a tree tree no, I, I couldn't help you buddy no trees a tree yeah I'll get you not an arborist yeah it was a tree so I um I looked at the trees the unnamed trees and uh this buzzard just took up from the trees and, and sort of flew up over it. And then another one came up and joined it. They were mewing as buzzards do. And as they sort of flew up, they were doing the, the dippy dive kind of courtship flight that they do and, uh, and mewing away. And I just started taking antidepressants and antidepressants from the SSRI family, so that selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they adjust the level of serotonin in your brain. And serotonin is the one of many, but the main chemical that makes you feel happy. And um, as your body tries to adjust to the additional serotonin levels, you get these like rushes, sort of like body and head rushes. It's similar to taking class A drugs. And so I walked out on the field, I looked at these buzzards and I had one of these rushes, right? And it was just like, oh man, these buzzards are amazing. And now they, they were, they were amazing. But what stuck, right, 
was they were really free and I really wanted to feel free from like these just the crap that was going on in my head and um I, I sort of latched onto them a little bit but I knew what they were as well and that was this is the second reason how birth therapy came about I knew what they were because when I was a kid I spent a lot of time with my granddad because we lived with my grandparents for a little while because we had nowhere else to live and um we'd drive around he'd go to jobs it was really boring he won't mind me saying that but I had to like wait while he did a job do what I don't know what I did colouring or whatever no I was a bit older than that I must have took a book <laughs> but yeah like we'd be driving along and he'd go oh look at this and then he'd point some some bird out he'd be like oh look at that kestrel and they'd tell me a fact like oh did you know that um they fly into the wind um to minimize the energy they need to use um in order to stay in one position and, and and hunt and I was like oh that's really cool and then we go out on his friend's boat and my granddad grew up on a houseboat and he'd be like oh look at this look at that he'd point out great crested grebes and tufted ducks and mute swans and stuff and it just it was always there I guess as an undercurrent but it had gone away when I got into taking drugs and that and then when I then had the buzzard experience i was like oh that felt really good i want to do that again i want to go out and find some birds again and then it there's your ping your click moment i was like all oh, right it feels pretty good being outside and that's when i think my wife bought me the crap i was gonna swear but because i'm i have a terrible potty mouth but you can swear all you like this is an adult uh, podcast you can say fuck shit cunt whatever you want to go for okay so she bought me the shittest pair of binoculars ever and they were tiny they were literally like so I've got a proper narrow, narrow eyes, right? Because anyone that borrows my binoculars takes them off me and goes, how can you see through them? They're well close together. I'm like, leave me alone, man. I've got narrow eyes. <laughs> but like, I have these little tiny binoculars. I've still got them upstairs somewhere and uh, I couldn't see anything with them. But I was like, yeah, yeah, these are really cool. Like, because I've got something. And then the, loads of things happen in the kind of story of bird therapy. And, and, and I make a few friends. And one of the friends actually gives me some cast off binoculars that he found on a bench. They were sort of these. That's very cryptic, isn't it? That's very cryptic, Joe. I'd, I'd, I'd be careful of admitting that. You might have the Rosses uh, knocking around. I've got some... a better one. I've, I've got a better bit of birding banter for you. He used to call me Dead Man Scope because I bought a scope off a woman whose husband had died and it was her husband's scope. So the, I had the, the scope nickname. wasn't even cold. Yeah, well, it was because it was really old and made of metal. So, yeah, so Dead Man Scope with his bins off a bench, um, enjoying his tiny pocket binoculars until he could get something better. But yeah, just going back to it, although, like, I had no idea, but I just liked being outside and looking at birds. Um, it made me feel a bit better. And that's yeah. kind of how it came about, how it started. So, to be clear, then, we're not talking about fucking off to the Isle of Sillies looking for a warbler you're you're more about sticking to your local patch yeah well it's interesting because when I wrote or was writing bird therapy I spent a little bit of time going about well I wasn't intentionally writing the book I was writing a blog and and the blog the book is just all my blogs stitched together with some narrative thrown in and a bit of story and context that's all it is so like all the shit reviews and everything that I do get for it I'm just like oh do you know what 
you can do one. It's just a stitched together blog, man. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so I'm out with, well, what was I saying? I'll just distract myself talking about the book and reviews and I'll get on an old negative thing again. Um, what was I talking about? I was we, talking about we were talking about local patches, weren't we? I yeah, was saying, yeah, you... yeah, yeah. I spent some time going out with this geezer, and it, what this is what happened basically. I got, my my wife, we were living with her parents, and it's before I had had a daughter or anything, and, and she'd be like, "Oh, hold on, something's just fallen down in the wood burner." No, it's all right. I thought it had hit the glass, but it's, it's all kicking off. It's kicking off. It is all, it's <laughs> kicking off in the wood burner. Um, so I'd pick him up on a Sunday morning because my wife would be like, I'll oh, just go out birding so she could do whatever she was going to do. And I'd, I'd pick him up from Norwich and he'd give me a tenner. And I was, that was basically the deal was if there was a bird about and he had like bird guides, which for anyone that doesn't know, is it's just like a, a system for telling you when there's a half decent or rare bird around um, that you pay for, you subscribe to it and you can have it on your phone, you know, as an app. And, and he, he'd say, oh, let's, we're going here. Do you know where it is? I'd be like, yeah, just put it, put the last bit in your sat nav, but in, in, you know, in his phone, but I know roughly where we were going. And then we drive to like West Runton to see an Icterine warbler. I say about this one because I clearly remember it being at a children's play park. And I was saying to him, Mate, I'm a teacher. I can't stand with my binoculars by a children's play park. It's not cool. And he's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, mate, it's not fine. <laughs> like, but anyway, I did eventually see the extreme warbler around the other side of the hedge. So I uh, didn't feel so shifty. But um, I saw some pretty cool birds. So that that is twitching, you know. He'd get a notification about something being there and I'd take him to it. And I saw sort of arguably one of the rarest well, not the rarest, but because there's been a few, there was one earlier this year or last year, I can't remember when it was, but I saw a really rare bird in Norfolk because of him, because of that, um, a citral finch. But no, I didn't like it, didn't like the twitching because no. well, there's two two reasons why. Number one, I just didn't connect with it on a personal level because um, I just... I want to just go for a walk and just be outside and looking at stuff. I don't really want to have like that pointed focus of where I need to go and what I need to see specified for me because somebody else said so. And then the other other reason why is that we went to this citral finch twitch, right? So again, for anyone who doesn't know, when I just say a twitch, I just mean a, a load of people in like camo. Real tree. Kate's yeah, in real tree. Yeah, standing in a line with scopes, binoculars, whatever, all looking at a single point, which would be the bird, or staring at a bush waiting for a bird to pop out again, sometimes for hours, um, and then shouting at a photographer because they're crawling along the floor to try and get really close to the bird. Um, but yeah, basically, we're at the Citral Finch Twitch, and it's gone into this bowl. They call it the something bowl, named after some other bird that was seen there, but it's now a citral finch bowl um i got some photos of it i was looking at them the other day actually like literally a couple of days ago there's there's like this line of people along the top edge of this sort of bowly crate a bit and then there's about 30 40 people in front of me there was hundreds of people there and we joined this line of people sort of marching to it, it was very infantry like and then we got there and uh sort of looked down in this bowl quite near the front 
And he goes, it's there, it's there. Yeah, you know, it's there. Oh yeah, I see it, yeah. It looks like a green finch. It's not, it's a it's a citral finch. Look, it's got a gray head. Well, all right, it looks like a green finch with a gray head. And then this geezer goes, he's standing behind me and he must have been, I'm not particularly tall, I'm about five nine, five ten. And this geezer behind me, he must have been about six four, six five. Huge, big hench geezer goes, have you seen it? In my ear. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. And he, I swear, he picked me up under my shoulders like this. You Only you can see what I'm doing, but yeah. I like went up <laughs> under my shoulders, lifted me up, moved me to the side, put me down, and then got straight where I was standing. And it happened so quickly, I turned around to say, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, picking me up. And then I saw how big he was, and I didn't say anything. <laughs> but, um, but, like, but the fact was, he was that desperate to see it, he was willing to pick somebody up and move them so that he could get close enough to see it. And I said to my mate then, I was like, I can't deal with this. I was like, this is just too much. So we walked to this hide on stilts, Joe Jordan hide, I think it's called. It's um, at Holcomb. So you sort of walk through Holcomb to get to Burnham Overy, where this Citral Finch was. And I sit sitting in the hide with him and I'm like, mate, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, how? What? What is it about this that that you like, that you need? And he started talking to me about it, and that was the first time I'd started to see like really different perspectives about bird watching, and starting to compare approaches. And and that's again, then I'd like write a blog about it, and it and it sort of comes from there and how it how it all came about. So yeah, now I'm all about the local patch, all about the yeah. local patch. No, I, I can see that. I um I don't really twitch so much unless it's a, it's got to be something pretty sexy for me to go out twitching. If it's a little brown jobby, I can't say I'd get out of bed for that. But if um if a bee eater turned up or or a hoopoe or something relatively, I wouldn't travel far either, but if it's localish, I might go and poke my head in and have a look. Oh, like, don't even go there. Last year, right, I got a text message of, I know the one of the farmers around here, there's several of them. They're really good. They let me and a few other local bird watchers go on parts of their land and look at things. I got this text off him saying, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, but there's been a hoopoe about on this bit of land, probably a mile from my house, a warfare. Wow. So I put my daughter in a buggy and legged it down there and then, like, dumped the buggy and carried her. It wasn't there. <laughs> Text him and was like, when's it last been seen? He was like, oh, it's not been seen for about four days. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. You could have told me that before. I'd... And he was like, well, you you rushed out. I was like, next time, just tell me when there's a rare bird. Then this year, again, they're not rare, but wheat here are always nice to see in land and always strive to get one on the, the local walking patch list each year. And I said, just text him in like May saying, I had any wheat here at the farm. He was like, oh, yeah, there's been a flock of about six. I was like, when? He was like, oh, two weeks ago. I was like, oh, come on, man. Just let me know <laughs> when they're around and I'll walk over. He's like, oh, you've got you to be in it to win it. But, like, but yeah. bird, bird Guides is sounding more appealing now, isn't it, when you uh, when you say about this farmer? Maybe Bird Guides is uh, the way Only to if go. the local farmer signs up to yeah. put in his <laughs> non-interesting non local birds on there for me. <laughs> That's it. That's it. How did it feel when people started getting in touch with uh, with similar stories? Then I think is it when you started writing the blog and and certainly the book, people who were having similar experiences were getting in touch with you. Yeah. Well, 
I sort of reached out to start with. Okay. Made, made a survey, and the survey features throughout the book, and it wasn't a scientific survey, and I kind of wish it was now, because that could have been an interesting bit of research just to possibly try and get published. But anyway... Um, the survey connected me with loads of people, but they were anonymous, so I never really knew. There was one that it didn't get featured in the book because I couldn't work out where the hell to put it, but one geezer had just written, I see birds outside my jail cell every day for like 10 years or whatever when I was incarcerated, and it kept me alive. And I was just like, oh, yeah. and that was heavy. Um, but yeah, I think more, more when I was on, when I started using Twitter that people started to actually kind of engage and share stories. And then when I'd, I'd done a, a feature on, on Winterwatch, and Chris Packham came up here to my local patch. It was, it was good. We spoke about sort of suicide and men's mental health mainly, but sort of mental health in general as well and, and bird watching. And the next day when I woke up, I had like 69,000 notifications on Twitter, I, um, I couldn't do it. I had to shut my, like deactivate my Twitter for a little while because it was freaking me out. And that was cool, but like, I, I, I couldn't deal with that. And then all of, I'll talk about that a bit later, but all of that has, was, has not helped my mental health. But with, that's like social media and that. Yeah. But with when people share their stories with me, they tend to do it privately because there is still quite a lot of stigma attached to mental health. And so this week, actually first, you know, it hasn't happened for a while, but I had a couple of, you know, direct messages on Instagram, which I still use because you can hide behind photos a bit easier on Instagram. I find Yeah. less people follow mm -hmm. me on there than ever would on Twitter. So I think it's more, I can be selective because it's private as well. But like, yeah, um, I've had a couple of messages in the last few weeks from people who are like, you know, interestingly, it's wives and partners who have got in contact with me and said, my husband or partner is reading your book um, or has finished reading your book and has been really struggling and you, you've helped them. And like, I think I lose sight a lot about why I've done any of this. And when I get a message like that, I have a sort of 10 minutes of clarity where I'm like, fuck yeah. That's what it's all about. Well, it validates it, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, it validates it. And I think what, God, now we're getting a bit deep now, Jack, but <laughs> what I do on social media is try and validate myself, right? Yeah. But if I, because I can't always separate between like bird therapy and just me. And this, because bird therapy is a story about me and my recovery as well. So when when people are critical about it, it feels like a personal attack, and, I, and it isn't. I know that when I'm thinking objectively, but I spend too much time thinking subjectively about it and getting all emotional and offended by everything. And um, when I stop, just for, you know, like I said, 10 minutes of clarity, but when someone messages something like that I'm just like yeah that's it that's why gotta just remember that when I'm freaking out about something or other um so, to do with bed. 
social media is that double-edged sword, isn't it? That it can be a, a, a fantastic tool to help people, but it can also just be that foot keeping you down a little bit. And it's I, I often have these moments where I'm just like, oh, I'm packing it in. I can't be arsed with this shit. It's not worth the hassle from some some twat messaging. And then every now and again, someone will say something really nice. So it's it's almost like torture in a weird way. Because yeah. you're like, well, I, I don't want to get rid of this because there are some, you do meet people and make friends online even. And then there are pricks. And I guess you just have to try and even it out if you can. So it's interesting you say that because a lot of my issues are in my head. I don't really get like trolled okay <laughs> you've got to be a bit of a tosser to like troll someone who openly admits to being like mentally unwell a lot of the time it's you like, would think well, so wouldn't you yeah but like i say that i i had a friend who i met through birding who um, unfortunately i couldn't continue to be friends with because it wasn't a healthy relationship and um they then went on like a long-term trolling mission <laughs> and it was like the first time I'd ever been trolled yeah. and it was utterly relentless and really difficult because it was someone like I cared about and yeah that was really weird and that was part of the reason in the end I stopped using Twitter because I couldn't get away from it and it just wasn't healthy either because you when you got when you struggle with addiction right in, of any sort, like I said, it's likely you're going to find other things really addictive and have to regulate it. And so I could never, I well, still can't really do it with social media. Sometimes I just sit there looking through my photos thinking, oh, how, what can I post? How can I post something to get some attention? And sometimes I have this, you don't need to post, just stop. And I do. And then other times I'll just spend like 20 minutes and then can't find anything and then just get annoyed with myself. And, oh, it's so... When I talk about it out loud, I sound so ridiculous. But at the time, it doesn't seem ridiculous. And, it's a, and that's the same with any form of addiction. But I think, like, we will see over the next maybe five years and we already are, especially in schools, especially like through my work, but a drastic increase in mental ill health associated with either social media use or cyberbullying or you know it's other things around body image, body shaming, etc. So yeah, really, it's a proper minefield that I find really fascinating. I can't remember the exact figure, but it's something like every time you get like a like on your post, there's a little serotonin rush, a, a minuscule one, and it's and it is an addiction. Like people can't help but I know like older people might joke, oh, you can't keep off your phone, but it it is almost like an addiction. You've got to be on your phone to say, oh, what so and so commented, what so and so has my post done well. I mean, I don't really look into the analytics too much. I don't worry no, about I don't. it, and I don't think it's healthy to, to be honest. But um. But I know some people are really into it and they'll look at, oh, well, this demographic's liking when I do this. And I don't know. I just I just chuck shit and see what sticks to the wall half the time. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to dwell on that much, much longer. But no, I will okay. just say that. no, no, only because like there's let's talk about nature. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I am. Um, I will just say that I did some research into it and I wrote three or four blogs and I was very savvy and kept my, I like copied and pasted my entire blog into a word document before I took it off the internet. 
Um, and I found out about some of those things you're talking about. Um, it's not serotonin, it's called dopamine, the hit that, that you get. Yeah. That's it, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As soon as I say it, I know, but like that, that hit, uh, the thing you're looking for, I think it lasts one and a half seconds or something stupid like that. It's so pointless that it doesn't have any lasting effect. So then you seek it out again. And it's the same as, do you know what a fixed odds betting terminal is? No, no, tell me, what's that? The roulette machine, game machines you see in the bookies. Like oh, in the okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're FOBTs, fixed odds betting terminals, and they work on this system called a ludic loop. And what they do, right, is yes, really interesting. They release just enough of a winning at the right time for you to feel so good that you want more. And apparently, it, it depends how much you... You know, you can watch documentaries about it. There's one on Netflix called The Social Something or Other, I can't remember. Um, and they tell you on there that social media platforms purposely only release a certain amount of interaction to you to keep you hooked. And that actually what, what you get is never a fair representation or a realistic representation of the interactions that you're receiving. It's done just to keep you engaged and, and interested in it. So basically the whole thing is just it is no different to selling cigarettes or do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's thing. It's crazy. It is. It is mad, isn't it? Well, let, let's get back on track with nature then, like you say. So what, yeah. one of the things you mentioned about is the five ways of well-birding. Yeah. I just thought, can we delve into that? So what are the five ways of well-birding? Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm just going to do. I'm just going to put some wood on the fire, okay? You so go not, for it. I don't want I'm you to be bothered. shaking while we're talking. Well, as the temperature's it's proper cold in Norfolk today. Um, and you're just going to hear a rustle of a bag, which is full of paper. That's all right. You you do what you got to do, Joe. Yeah, so can you hear me all right? Yeah, you go for it. You talk, talk and, and burn wood. Let's, let's go for it. Right. Um, <laughs> the five ways to well-birding are based on a model which was created by the New Economics Foundation and mental health charity Minds. They did a load of research into what makes people feel good when they've got mental ill health. Um, and that research led them to these five categories that you or five things that you can do to promote well-being. And, and they were to connect, to take notice, to learn to be active and to give. And it basically they weren't those five things. New Economics Foundation produced this really clunky report and mind were like, let's dil you know, dilute it basically and make it more accessible. So they created these five ways to well-being, was what the model was called. And uh, I think what happened was is I went, I did these mindfulness sessions as part of my therapy or my therapeutic approaches I had. Can I just tell you a funny story about this? Go for it. It's not related to nature at all. But I once went on a mindfulness session, one of these ones, and was so chilled afterwards that I crashed my car really badly because <laughs> I was so relaxed that I just drove home without even really like, I don't know, I was just in like this mad meditative days. And then like I rolled my car. It was really bad. Dangerous. Um, anyway, so meditation... <laughs> totally works but anyway um so i had these five ways to well-being leaflet given to me at one of the sessions and i was like oh man you get given so much shit at these things here's your cd of the meditation which is never the same as somebody doing it live and um here's some leaflets and further information and that's great and 
we do always look at it, but it tends to just get recycled, doesn't it? But this one thing, I just kept looking at it and was like, oh, I like this, these five things that you can do. And I was looking at it and I was like, they're all kind of related to bird watching, if you think about it. And I was like, oh my God, I could write a blog about each of these. I was like, yeah, I can connect each of these to bird watching. And initially it was just, you know, little blogs saying, oh, you can connect with other people and you can connect with birds and you can connect with yourself. And then it was like, oh, I was taking notice and you could take notice of your garden birds or take notice of how you feel when you're outside or we can give or we can give something back by like volunteering or we can give something back by doing some bird surveys once we feel competent enough or we can give something back by just feeding our garden birds and creating a reciprocal relationship and then it was like oh we can learn because you're always learning and I'm still learning I can't identify the different races of yellow wagtail I sometimes confuse I don't know green finch and red pole flight calls it's just you know there's you're always learning always learning and then oh i can't remember what the final one is be active well i was like well i'm outside i'm walking every time i'm bird watching so it kind of just spells itself out but actually with that being active isn't just about physical activity it's also about um the kind of mental activity and stimulation that you get from bird watching and then what started off as like a little blog ended up becoming a chapter in bird therapy because there was so much in each thing um I'm just thinking about them as chapters because they're quite stitched together in places. And with the exercise one, because I'm quite a lethargic person, I've got other people to contribute, like Johnny Rankin, who you might know um, of Dove Step fame, and a couple of other people who um, I'd met on Twitter who were willing to share their experiences of being active and birdwatching at the same time. And that's really cool. And, and yeah, it, it became something bigger, but at the same time I always fall back on that framework anyway I think like even when I just go for a walk I do those things so subconsciously now because they are they all do promote um well-being and then anyway I just got a bit facetious and changed it to well birding um because I thought it sounded cool yeah well um, they, they yeah. definitely mix don't they and 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 work so I can see how that would work for for bird watching and it might seem uh, strange to some people that, that your book, Bird Therapy, which, you know, has become arguably a bit of a cult classic among nature literature, and you got a, a Wainwright Prize, I think, but you, you struggled no, to get... Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> okay. I was oh, long-listed long for it. It means nothing. It just... I was put on there um, as a... I don't even really know why, because it's not that kind of book. It's not a... Okay. Yeah, but don't, you're fine. <laughs> just all right. Oh. I'm trying to big the book up. All right, we'll forget the Wainwright Prize. But anyway, originally you you struggled to get a publisher, didn't you? So what was oh, the really? kind of feedback that you were getting? Uh, Sixty-eight rejections. I got. Jesus Christ! Uh, they weren't just from publishers; they're from agents as well. Okay, okay. Yeah, this one's really bloody annoying about all of this, right? I got this email about a year after Bird Therapy was published from somebody who worked at Penguin. Okay. Their press called Ebury Press. And she was like, oh, hi, Joe. I'm just reaching out, as they always say, um, because I have read your book and I love it. And I've done some research and was sad to hear that you 
got all these rejections and are you thinking of writing anything else? I'd love to take it on for Penguin, la di da di da di da And I was like, no, I'm not thinking about writing anything else. And I said, it's a bit cheeky, really, because uh, one of the rejections of the 69 is from your publisher. It's from me. <laughs> like, well, if I'd have seen that, I wouldn't have rejected it. And I was like, yeah, I don't necessarily think that is actually the case. Um, but yeah, so oh, I was so demoralizing. Um, and it, one, so I sent it to a couple of local writers in Norfolk who published nature writers. And one of them was like, may as well have just sent me an email back going, yeah, shit. Because that's basically what he said. <laughs> and then the other one, I'll name this one, was Patrick Barkham. He's written lots of books. He writes for The Guardian. Yeah, yeah, he's been on the podcast, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a really, really nice bloke, right? And he was like, this has got all the bones of being something really good, but you could do this and you could do that. And like, why don't you just write about your mental health more? So I rewrote the first chapter to start with a suicide attempt. And to rebuild from that. And he took it back and he just went, it's fucking amazing, Joe. Like, this is exactly what it needs to be. And I was like, yes, sweet. I'll try again. Still no one would take it. And I was like, oh, fuck this. I can't be asked anymore. So I did what every um, social media addicted naturey person does and moaned about it on Twitter saying, oh, I'm not trying to get sympathy. Well, yeah, I'm trying to get something, otherwise I wouldn't be posting it. What I didn't expect to get was a person who works at a publisher get in contact with me and say, it isn't conventional and you'll have to do a crowdfund, but do you fancy coming onto Unbound and trying to get it published that way? I was like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, maybe not when I thought about it. I was like, that's probably not a good idea with someone who, A, is really anxious and B, struggles with addiction. Let's just give them something super addictive in the form of trying to raise money. Um, but actually, they handled it really well and I made them really aware of the fact that I might struggle with it. And they were awesome about it all. And he, the guy that picked it up, Simon Spanton, he now works at, um, oh, what are they called? Have you spoke to Lev Parakayan on here? No. <laughs> He wrote a couple of books, Into the Tangled Bank, he wrote. That's quite good, and I hate nature writing, but I'm trying, I'm looking it up on my shelf. He works for that their, that publisher now. I can't remember what they're called. And they publish other stuff. Um, Stephen Rutt, have you heard of him? He's a Scottish nature writer. No, I'm not yeah. great. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I find a lot of nature writing a little bit pretentious and self-glorifying. I'm not saying that about, about yours, but um, yeah, so... so- <laughs> So, uh, so uh, I don't, I don't tend to read a lot of it because I just thought I don't well, want to. I don't want to. I only read ghost stories. Uh, Good. We'll yeah. talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But um, yeah. So Simon was like, "Yeah, we can do this," and then it sort of snowballed really quickly. I mean, they gave me a quote of thirteen and a half grand mm. to raise to get the book published, and I was like, "I ain't going to raise that." And we raised it in six weeks. It was insane. Wow. And like loads of people were getting behind it. And then right at the end of it, basically right at the start, I had been put in contact with Bill Bailey and he followed me on Twitter. And it was like this defining moment in my life. Oh, Bill <laughs> Bailey's followed me. And I'd sent him a couple of private messages and he'd replied. And I was like, oh my God, this is insane. And then I messaged him and he, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put a tweet out. And he put a tweet out about it and it, got like a grand's worth of 
bloody pledges like in a couple of days it wouldn't have just been from him but still the effect was noticeable and it was really cool. it helped yeah and then right at the end we had this sort of four or five days where it just sort of stalled at about i don't know eleven and a half thousand, and i was just like oh i'm never going to get this over the line and i messaged bill bailey again and i was like oh i don't suppose you could just do another tweet because last time you did it it like got loads of attention for it it was really cool and i'm going to ask a couple of other people who are well known to do it as well and oh please sort of thing and he was like oh, i'll do better than that he messaged me back i'll see it later in the evening he's like i'll do better than that i'll become a patron of your book i've just put a thousand pounds in that's what the patronage level was so he took it to like 12 and a bit or whatever and then my stepdad had been watching it and like over and over again refreshing it he wanted to be the person that took it over the line and he was he took it to 100 percent funded um and that was really cool and like it was happening and then from that point onwards the whole process was a bit i don't know probably a bit shit really to be honest so in a mental health way but like on the day it was published i just cried i stood in the middle of the heath in the rain the heath that i wrote about in the book and just cried really weird feeling loss grief i can't explain it it was bizarre but um yeah so it was a real chore to get it published and then i like what you said then about the cult classic thing though because I, I i actually thought about that i think it was on thursday or friday last week when i was driving i was just like maybe that's how it can be and maybe i prefer that because i feel like a bit of a an outsider, a pariah, if you like, because I challenge a lot of people. If I, I could, like, I'm not going to, and I never have done, but I've, I've alluded to this a lot. A lot of people spoke to me, famous naturey people spoke to me a lot when bird therapy was in the sort of formation of getting published and people were interested in it. So it was like flavour of the month for a bit. And all these people messaged me. And then when it was published, nothing. And I think what they didn't realise was that there's still a person behind everything and it works both ways. It works for them as well. And so I look back at a couple of the people, especially who bigged up what they were going to do and then ended up being quite nasty, not nasty, but negative um, to me. And uh, I think that's when I kind of realised that I wasn't ever going to be. Basically, I thought I'd get entered into this like guild of nature writers. <laughs> yeah, that's how I thought it would be, um, where everyone was mates and sat round sketching the skylarks and drinking herbal tea. And I am being completely facetious here, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like there was yeah, like I this do, I do. Kind of thing and then there just wasn't and like there were just people but they were people who hid behind their their books potentially or their television presence and it was just like oh my god you're actually just a massive prick aren't you who was just interested in promoting it at the time and I'm not talking about people like Chris Packham and that because they he always was supportive um about 
bird therapy and, and tell you Gillian Burke was always really supportive as well but then like and I know you've had her on your podcast because I listened to it to get a flavor of what you'd be like you see and, yeah. um, I'm all right I'm yeah. harmless I am I'm not too uh I'm not You're chill too aren't you? too... I'm pretty chill yeah I've yeah. had a cup of tea I'm all good today the whole thing was just really really shit and made me really despondent about people more than I was already and then I went away for a bit and focused on being a dad. And then I decided I'd come back on social media and I went come back on Instagram and tried just to post stuff about nature. And it was just impossible. I was always going to end up posting about the book again because it got published and it's really popular in Eastern Europe for some weird reason. Okay, well, that's good. It's been published in like Poland, Slovenia, Slovakia, um, somewhere latvia i don't know it just gets published in eastern europe like for some weird and france and germany as well which was cool because yeah. they're obviously quite big countries um it doesn't really translate into an american market because it's very norfolk centric and british centric so that's fine i'm cool with that but like when something like that would happen i'd want to share it with people and then i'd get all obsessed with that side of, oh it's just so difficult man to na- navigate yeah no I, I know what you mean and look i think you know if you're the the june of books bird therapy june being a cult classic when he was not into their films um then then go for it i think that i think that's really really nice and it's a nice way to to be so hopefully i've not um labeled that wrongly but before oh, uh, <laughs> before good good before we go i think it's a nice way to end it and what advice would you give people if they are in a bit of a hole um with their mental health and maybe they do have some passing interest in in nature as well is there anything that you would kind of recommend yeah i have this theory this yeah theory i guess around all of this start small and start local start with garden birds get to know what i did right was get to know all of the basics so i got to know all the garden birds all the birds that you see in your local area so i don't know even if you live in an urban area the things that you would see around um once you get to know what they look like maybe just spend a little bit of time watching how they behave because their behavior changes all through the year birds are on this calendar this cycle it's really cool and um again it's something i write about quite a lot in bird therapy it's a very very cyclic kind of way of, of being and i like that it's quite helpful that sort of structure and routine although i have to say climate change is completely messing that up now there's a barred warbler in norfolk like now i was there yesterday my mate was telling me and it's like it's nearly christmas and it shouldn't be there it's an october migrant it's just too late um and you know there's everything's been pushed back by a couple of weeks this year yeah um, if at all the October Siberian migration was appalling in Norfolk last year and the year before it was great. And the year before last, we had the most palaces warblers ever in Norfolk. But, and then this year there's been like a handful. But anyway, I digress. Start small, get to know how they behave. So get to know what they look like, get to know what they behave. Then sort of engorge your senses a little bit and get to know how they sound because all birds sound different. Um, there's this amazing website called Zeno Canto. And you can just listen to, like, I don't know, Dunnock calls. I always bang on about Dunnocks because they're great. And, like, 
you get to know how they sound. And then once you've kind of done that really close to home and got to spend some time, I think you sort of just naturally spread outwards. And then I thoroughly recommend just getting yourself a bit of a local patch, whatever it is. Mine is a one and a half mile radius of my front door. Um, that's all I do. I go out walking. I've kept it that so I can take my daughter because she's what? only little. Why one and a half? Why not one or two? This is the pedantic person in me. I'll tell you why. Because when I plotted the furthest point I wanted to be within it on um, a map, it was one and a half miles from the okay. house. So okay. it was all based on the habitat that fell within it. Um, so one and a half miles was the furthest point, And then it all like come right into about half a mile as it goes along a bit of private land and then stretch back out to a mile and so on, if that makes sense. So it's some weird shape, like a snowflake kind of thing. Um, and like, look, I saw 101 species of bird in that one and a half mile area last year. That's incredible. Now, don't get me wrong. I do live in, I am spoiled. I've got some wonderful habitat, but again, nothing special. I've barely got any water bodies like just some ornamental lakes in people's posh people's gardens and like you know it's it's incredible what you can see and then i've got a moth trap to supplement that so that when i couldn't go out um i'd always had an interest in them from my mates i think a lot of birders end up getting into moth trapping it's when a they slippery have slope it is a slippery slope for sure it is and then <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah so spread out a bit and then it's up you know go and check out some reserves as well there's always an rspv reserve knocking about near you somewhere even if you live in central london you know you've got is it rain and marshes that's just up the road it's not too far yeah like, yeah yeah or no there's a reservoir there's like stains reservoir and there's just loads of places you can go and i think if you you then go there you get all the information and the support to take an interest and like i don't know just embrace it for yourself that's what i did i sort of got pushed on this path of how i should like engaging with nature and in the end was just like no i'll do it how i want to do it i'll engage with nature on my terms because i want to know and understand how it makes me feel good not how you know it drives some sort of innate need for something else i just want to go out and chill well, there's no firm and hard, fast rules, is there? It's whatever you enjoy doing at the end of the day when you're going out birding, photography, whatever, whatever makes you happy at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, and that was something really interesting at the end of bird therapy, that there were all these different approaches, and I didn't like some of them, but so what? Some, if other people do, that's fine. People moan about photographers all the time. Yeah, they can be a bit annoying, but you know what? They're just doing it because they like it a lot of the time. And then you look at, like, people, all oh, right, long-distance twitching is a bit different from because of the carbon impact i guess and it, it's quite unrealistic to how most people live their lives but again at the end of the day if those people are in a position economically and socially to be able to just drop everything and travel from one side of the country to another then cool that's up to them i don't have to like it for them yeah. to you know they don't have to not like it it's like what you're interested in is you know most people would say that's pretty niche but so what yeah. It's what you like doing. It's what you find interesting. And that's something that I found. Uh, there's a quote in bird therapy, and I'll say it to you now because it's the only one I like. But it's, um, <laughs> it's uh, birds are consistent, or it's birds and nature are consistent in a way that people rarely are. It's just that one line. But, like, it's I enough. Like that. Yeah. They are. They're just so consistent 
that when you go out to look at, engage with them, etc., it's always there. People aren't. <laughs> not not as often as we like and i think we'll end on that rather nice note but look joe i, I really appreciate you coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and and kind of delve into the pages of this book and i'd obviously recommend people uh, get the book if they can I'll, I'll chuck a link to it in the description to this but thanks for coming on buddy really appreciate it cheers jack and also can i just tell anyone that's listening that um it's been sort of quite difficult uh, the first time i was going to do this with Jack. I was really struggling um, with with my depression, actually. And um, I have to say, I am struggling right now. It's okay at this time of the year to be struggling and to not want to do things. Um, I really am not feeling it at the minute, but I still want people to know that that's okay. I know we said we'd end it with that quote before, but I that's like my final thing I want to say to people. It's okay to, I hate the saying, but it's okay to not be okay. That gets bandied around a lot, yeah. but it works. No, I, I was, I nearly thought about mentioning it. I thought, no, no, no I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. But no, I, I think that's a good point. And I tried not to be too, um, too pushy because it's not something you can put a time limit on, is it? And I just thought, look, when Joe's yeah. ready, Joe's ready. So uh, I'm glad we, we did manage to do it in the end. Don't worry. I'll put David Lindo off for like two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> That happens. <laughs> that's it oh, yeah it has to be done so actually i'm beating david lindo which is always a good thing to uh yes. to do. look buddy look Bye. cheers joe thanks for coming mate all right nice one thanks jack that was joe harkness in really what was a very open and honest conversation and you know i think it's great that we can talk about that being men it can be often difficult to open up and, and talk about these things and i think it's healthy that we should do so. So thanks to Joe for, for coming on. I also love the moment when Joe realised that he was allowed to swear. He was so happy. I think he must do so many vanilla interviews. And as soon as he realised he could say fucking shit, he was like a kid in a candy shop. So I'm glad that I was able to give him that little boost of dopamine or serotonin, whichever the one that uh, is is good. I suppose they're both good. I can't remember which one he said was, was good. Now, next week is the final podcast, and it is actually the final one. I know I've said this about three times now. It's the final podcast, and it is with TV presenter Mike Dilger. You've probably recognised him from The One Show. We're talking about his upcoming book, which is all about him going after a thousand different plants in a calendar year. So tune in for the final episode of the Bearded Tits podcast. I sound like an info drama. Of the final episode of the Bearded Tits podcast next week. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Chat Perks, and I'll catch you next Tuesday. Cheers.